الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم واذكر ربك في نفسك سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم so the this time slot we're starting a little bit earlier today but this time slot is inshallah dedicated to uh, personal development and uh, we did this the last couple of years as well and this time i thought what we would use is a text by imam ghazali rahimahullah uh, so um, you're well aware that imam um, imam ghazali is one of he's known as the the proof of islam al-hujjatul islam and the reason is because his works are celebrated, have been celebrated by the Ummah since he, uh, since he, since he was around. And uh, the work that he's most known for, there's many, but the work that he's most known for is called Ihya Ulum al-Din, the revival of the, uh, the sciences of the deen. And he's been credited with the revival in general of the deen. Um, it was a time of uh, extreme turmoil for the Ummah and Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah, he was the one that really preserved the deen so that we can benefit from it today. Now, the book, Ihya Ulum al-Din, it's a very comprehensive book, very comprehensive book. And, um, and even he acknowledges that for the average person, it would be very difficult to actually study the text, right? Like, people, like, like ourselves. Um, and so... Based off of the text, he came up with, you could say, almost these commentaries or these summaries of certain portions of the book. So, for instance, you might have heard of the book Bidayatul Hidayah, The Beginnings of Guidance. It's a common book that, um, that people reference often. So that book is actually based off of Ihya Adumuddin. Um, and there's other ones as well. And the uh, uh, and this is the this is one that he's based off of. It's called... Um, uh, it's called the, the, in English. The translation is the Forty Principles of Religion, um, and it's it's basically his own. And then he considers it like an appendix of Ihya'ul-Muddin, and it resembles most of the salient uh, features of Ihya'ul-Muddin. Uh, so Ihya'ul-Muddin is a comprehensive text that basically covers the uh, the complete believer. The complete believer, every aspect, worship, belief, interactions, etc. So he basically kind of created an appendix from that, and and this is what we're going to inshallah go over. And the it's divided into four sections, and uh, one section. Um, the first section is on um, the sum of knowledge and its principles, and he has basically ten sections within it. Uh, the second is on outer actions, so deep worship, prayer, zakah, islam, etc. The third is on purifying the heart from blameworthy characteristics. And the fourth is on praiseworthy character traits. So I thought this year we would cover one of the parts, and if Allah Ta'ala gives us an opportunity in, in the coming years, then we'll cover a different section. So the section that we're going to cover, inshallah, this year, over the course of the next nine days, uh, is uh, are the ten blameworthy traits. We have nine days, so I actually divided it up. So we're going to do nine blameworthy traits. Um, and every day we'll cover one trait based off of what he's uh, what he's sort of elucidated in, in the text. Okay, And I want you to feel comfortable uh, 
asking questions if something doesn't make sense. So of all the sessions, this is a session where you should feel comfortable to just put your hand up or interrupt me if something doesn't make sense or you need clarification or if you have a question. Um, and then inshallah we'll try to address it. Um, if not, then of course we'll refer you to someone who, who can address it inshallah. Um, so there's ten principles, ten traits that he highlights. The first one, which we're not going to cover, uh, is gluttony, uh, which is essentially overeating. And uh, one of the reasons I thought we wouldn't cover it is because uh, we're all putting this into practice this month, so we're going to feel the effects of it come day 29 of Ramadan. We will know how, uh, we, maybe we've already realized how negative of a quality is to basically eat and overeat. So we're going to bypass that, inshallah, and we're going to start today with um, uh, uh, excessive speech. Loquaciousness. And uh, Imam Ghazali calls this Sharah al kalam. Sharah means um, commentary. So, this is a commentary on speech in general, how to approach speech. So, we're going to read it, inshallah, and we're going to highlight some main points. So, he begins, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. He begins the section saying, There is no choice but to cut it out. That's how he begins this section. And he doesn't begin the other sections in this way. You know, for gluttony, he'll give a little bit of a background that, you know, the scholars mention the, uh, the, that the overeating is harmful and because of X, Y, and Z. And he'll kind of prove his point and he'll make a statement. For, but when it comes to speech, he says, there is no choice but to cut it out. There is no choice but to cut it out. For indeed, the deeds of all the limbs affect the heart but the tongue especially so. This is because it conveys images that are within, it conveys, conveys the images that are within the heart. So we have to understand this. The heart, this is referring to the spiritual heart, not the physical heart, not the heart that's pounding in our chest, right, that we could see if we were to scan our body. This is a spiritual heart that you can't actually physically see, but it, you can perceive it. And so the spiritual heart is such that any sort of negative action that a limb performs, that has an effect on the heart. He's saying that it, it, it um, it affects the heart directly. So, for instance, if I was to uh, commit a sin with my hand, right? If I was to touch something I'm not supposed to be touching, or eat something I'm not supposed to be eating, you know, with my with my hand, I touch it. For instance, that directly goes and affects and penetrates my heart. Um, and in particular, of all the limbs that can affect the heart negatively, the tongue is the or positively, the tongue is the one that the scholars say it has direct access to the heart. It has direct that anatomically, you know, again, this isn't the physical heart, but I'm sure we'll figure something out in the future. But spiritually, it directly affects the heart. So he says, thus, for every word, there is an image of the heart that corresponds to it. If it is a lie, then a false image occurs in the heart and misdirects it. If it is something pointless and unnecessary, then the heart is blackened and made dark until ultimately excessive speech leads to the death of the heart. Excessive speech leads to the death of the heart. We know this based off of hadith of the Prophet where he says that every time you commit a, a sin, that a black dot appears on the heart. And if you don't remove that black dot, that black dot grows, you know, kind of like a, a cancer. You don't actually get cancer of the heart, right? It's one of these organs that you don't, that uh, it's protected from it because it doesn't multiply like other organs do. But uh, it, it's a, a cancer of the spiritual heart. So that black dot grows and grows and grows and eventually the heart becomes so um, black and so dark that it dies. And one of the ways, or one of the main ways by which this occurs, Imam Ghazali is saying, is through excessive speech. For this reason, Allah's Messenger وسلم, attached great importance to the tongue, saying, whoever can guarantee for me what is between his jaws and his legs, I can guarantee paradise for him. 
This is a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's narrated in the book of Imam Bukhari. He says, "Man yadman li ma bayna Whoever guards or safeguards for me, meaning for his sake, right? The Prophet's sake. Ma bayna lihiyehi. What is between the two jaws? Within the jaw. Wa ma bayna fakhidehi. Or another in another narration, rijlehi between the two legs, meaning your private parts. You can guarantee these two things for me, protect them, and do and use them according to how I've told you to use them. Adman uh, lahul uh, jannah. You guarantee these for me, and I will guarantee for you jannah. This is the Prophet Sallallahu promise. Then, and, and I'm going to skip, if, uh, I'm not reading the entire thing, so we're going to go to some pertinent points, inshallah. Then he says, and whoever is silent is saved. Whoever is silent and saved. The Prophet said in a hadith, it's, Man slamata naja. If you remain silent, you will be saved. Your, the de- your default should be silence. Why? Because you're going to be saved. Saved from what? The punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu once said to him, What deed is the best? The Prophet wasallam stuck out his tongue. He put his hand on it and he said, Surely the majority of the son or the children of Adam's sins are by his tongue. Um, he, he also said Whoever believes in Allah in the last day uh, He should speak good or be quiet This is a hadith um, Prophet Amazing, look at the way the Prophet is telling us this He says, he doesn't say if you um, believe Then um, you should speak good or remain silent Right. This is a principle. We've, I'm sure you've, you might have heard this from like your middle school teacher. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. The Prophet said this 1400 years ago. He said that man can, but he doesn't say if you believe it, if you believe, then then don't do this. Or if you're, he says man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawmil akhir. If you are someone who believes in Allah and you believe in the hereafter, meaning you recognize that you're one day going to meet Allah and you sincerely believe that you are one day going to uh, have to face this hereafter. If that's you, which is all of us, if that if you're truly concerned about your accountability on that day, then فَلْيَقُلْ خَيْرَ Then say only what's good. أَوْلِ يَصْمُتْ Or remain silently. So then he goes on. Know that the tongue has 20 ailments that we have explained in the book of the tongue's ailments. This is from the revival. From Ihya, he has an entire section on the 20 ailments of the tongue. Mentioning them here would take too long and acting upon one verse will suffice for you. Right? This is amazing. The scholars, they write extensive works, right? But they always reference the Qur'an. And often they'll say that you... I mean, they're trying to elucidate the Qur'an, but the reality is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has encompassed everything in just one verse. So the verse is said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لا خير في كثير من نجواهم إلا من أمر بصدقة أو معروف أو إصلاح بين الناس. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the translation of which is, There is no good in much of their conversation except for he who commands charity, meaning endorses or commands charity, good, or reconciliation between people. So there's no good in most of our conversations except in three. Number one, we encourage people to give their money for charity. Number two is that we encourage people toward doing good. Or number three, um, that we... um, that we try to reconcile differences between people. This is speech that we should use. This means that you do not speak about whatever does not concern you and limit your speech to what is important. Therein is salvation. 
Whoever limits his speech to this will speak only a little. If you were to limit your speech to what we've covered so far, and you go to this verse, to these three things, ma'roof, amr bil ma'roof, islahim nas, If you limit your thing, your speech to these three things, then you're going to have very little to say, to say. The slave should account for himself whenever he mentions what does not concern him. If he were to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, instead of uttering that word, it would be a treasure from the treasures of happiness. What he's saying is that if you have the time or the energy, if your tongue has you know, the ATP to move around and your throat can, can, can vocalize um, something that's, if you have that ability, well, you have two options. You can either use that to, as useless speech or use that to remember Allah. And if you were to use that to remember Allah, because you have the energy, you've proven you have it, and this will be a, be a, a, uh, a treasure from the treasures of happiness. How then can reason allow the abandonment of a buried treasure and take hold a pile of mud? This is the case of if there is not any sin involved. So this is not you're saying something haram or you're saying something that's disliked. This is just neutral speech. He's saying that how then can reason allow the abandonment of a buried treasure, which is the remembrance of Allah, and then take hold instead of a pile of mud? Why would you ever take hold of a pile of mud when there's, when there's treasure that's been abandoned that you could, that you could uh, ascertain? If sin were involved, then it is like leaving a buried treasure and taking hold of a flame. So if we're talking about speech that's actually harmful, right, and we're going to go over what types of speech that entails, that, forget pile of mud, that's like you taking a hold of fire when treasure is there right before you. You have the opportunity of becoming a millionaire, you know, with abandoned treasure, and you choose to burn your hands with fire. That's the analogy that he's using. Speech that should be of no concern to anyone includes tales of travel. Tales of travel, you know, I went here back in the day, you all remember that trip, it was like this, it was like that. You know, basically, because you really question the intention when you're having these sorts of, this sorts of speech. Sometimes it's really about bragging how you're the world's best traveler and you've been to these countries and that countries, or you've met with these people and these important people and those important people. It's useless speech. Types of cuisine in different countries <laughs> and their customs. He, he's mentioning this and this. He passed away in... Uh, in the year 505 Hijri, right, in the, in the 12th century he passed away, and uh, he's mentioning uh, types of cuisine in different countries and their customs, so you can apply that to yourself and to your own culture if you'd like. The states of people and the states of industry and business, all of which are seen as delving into. Perhaps you would like to know the details of some of these ailments of the tongue. Okay, so now he's going to highlight what these ailments specifically are. Know that there are five Actually, um, so let me go back. One of the basis, the, 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 the verse that we mentioned about how any speech except those three things, there's another hadith that, uh, that also highlights this. The Prophet ﷺ said, and to me, this is a hadith that it really, um, it, it, it's uh, frightening. He says, Kullu kalam ibn Adam, that every speech of the son of Adam, meaning every human being, عَلَيْهِ لَا لَهُ is against him, not for him. The default state of every every word that we utter, the default state of it is that it is going to be used against us. لَا لَهُ not for us. 
uh, except three things that if you were to enjoin good forbid evil and remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but this is frightening meaning when we're speaking the default is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this will be used against us in the day of judgment this will be used against us not for us so if the default say is that something's going to be used against us then guess what or not guess what then the, then the then a person will think, well, I might as well just remain silent. Well, then the Prophet said in another hadith, man samata, whoever remains silent, naja, they're saved. So this all makes sense. So he said, perhaps you'd like to know the details of some of the ailments of the tongue. And um, know that there are five of the 20 ailments that predominate. So five, per, five main ailments predominate. Number one, he says, lying. Number two, backbiting. Number three, arguing. Number four, praising. And number five, joking. So he's gonna, he goes over these five. We're going to probably cover the first three, inshallah, and then we'll stop. So Prophet, so he says, The first is lying. Allah's Messenger وسلم, said, The slave will not cease to lie and be bent on lying until he is written as a pathological liar with Allah. He also said, Woe to he who talks and lies to make people laugh. Woe to him, woe to him. It was said, the um, it was said, O Messenger of Allah, this is in Hadith, O Messenger of Allah, does the believer fornicate? Does the believer steal? He said, that could be the case. So, so a companion asked the Prophet, is it possible that a believer can fornicate? Right? We, we consider that to be a, you know, one of the akabir, right? one of the major sins. And, uh, and then, does a believer steal? Right? These things are very harmful to society. They're very harmful to our, to our own spiritual state. They harm one another. But they asked the Prophet, is it possible that a believer can do this? And the Prophet says, that could be the case. Meaning, yes, it's not right, it's wrong. But, you know, you could still make this mistake. You could still make this mistake. And then you'd have to, you know, uh, you'd have to um, uh, rectify that. So it was said, does he lie? And the Prophet said, no, the believer doesn't lie. The believer can make mistakes, it can include fornication, it can include stealing. Does a believer lie? No. This is an inherent quality of the believer that we do not lie. He said, no, only those who do not believe in Allah's signs make up lies. Only those who do not believe in Allah's signs. He doesn't say this about fornicating. He doesn't say this about... Stealing, he says this about lying. He also said, Shall I not teach you about the greatest of major sins? Ascribing partners to Allah and disobeying parents. He was leaning back. The Prophet said, he was leaning back. Then he sat up and he said, And speaking falsehood. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will seal the believer upon any characteristic except treachery and lying. So, it's interesting. Um, this is a, a major sin. And we have to be very careful when it comes to lying. Um, oftentimes we tell white lies. I mean, there's very rare circumstances in which lying is permissible. But for the most part, it doesn't apply to our day-to-day -day situations. So we have to be very careful about, about lying. Uh, immediately rectify a lie. I remember my teacher would always tell me uh, that it it's far better for you to just tell the truth and accept it and move on. You will never be, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never wrong you for telling the truth. Sometimes we're in very tough situations, right? A cop pulls us over because we're speeding. 
you know, we know we're going really fast. We were going 85, it was a 65, and you get pulled over. Now, you ask, do you, do you know why you were pulled over? Or the, maybe they'll say, um, I caught you going, uh, you know, 85 in a 65. And at that point, you're like, man, really? I, I think I was going 75. You know it, right? It's a tough situation. You're trying to get out of a jam. Um, or maybe he'll ask you, do you know how fast you're going? And you'll lie, and you'll say, I was going 75. It's not worth it. Just better to just fess up. Better to be honest. So, uh, in general, we should be very mindful of this. Very mindful of this. In another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, It is sufficient to call a person a liar. It is sufficient to call a person a liar. That they say or they relate everything that they hear. There's some people in the community, perhaps myself, perhaps we do this. Anytime someone says something, we go ahead and relate it to someone else. Did you hear what? The, did you hear what? Did you know what I heard from him? He said this X Y and Z. Did you hear what? You know? Did you hear what I heard from her? This, and we all we often um, uh, we we do this right. And even if that isn't, even if whatever we're conveying is for the most part true, right? There isn't an inherent lie in it. The Prophet said it's sufficient that a person. Whatever, whenever he hears something, he relates it. He, he, he gives it to other people. And then he hears it, he passes it on to someone else. It's sufficient to call that person a lie, a liar. Why? Because inherently there's going to be lies contained within it. You're not able to verify every single piece of information that you hear. But some people, they just, they hear something and they want to tell everybody about it. They want, immediately they hear something they want to tell. And this is very prevalent today, right, with, with the social media. You hear something, you want to retweet it. You hear something, you want to you want to post about it. Immediately you'll do this, right? And so we're constantly engaged in this practice. But we have to think that every single time we're, we're retweeting something or tweeting something or every single time we're, uh, we're referencing something, uh, you know, perhaps we're falling under this category. So we should be very mindful of this, right? I mean, if something is truly beneficial, then we should share it. If something is truly, you know, but if it's like news stories and these things that inherently they're going to have inaccurate information within it, and the minute we hear it, we share it, we we post these articles, we we, we want to tell everybody about something interesting that we found. Well, if we do this at a, on a regular basis, and the Prophet is saying that, you'd be considered a liar. Okay, then he goes on. The second ailment is backbiting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا يَغْتَبْ بَعْضُكُمْ بَعْضًا أَيُحِبُّ أَحَدُكُمْ أَنْ يَأْكُلَ لَحْمَ أَخِيهِ مَيْتًا الْحُجَرَاتِ Do not backbite others. Would one of you like to eat the corpse of his brother? You would detest it. The Prophet said, Backbiting is worse than fornication. Now this is the second, uh, you could say, mistake of the tongue that is being that that Prophet is highlighting is actually worse. The first one was we said it was lying, right? Because that's not a quality of the believer. You could believe in, in fornicate, but you can't believe in lying. And now This is another hadith of Prophet. He says that backbiting is worse than fornication. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I can't, uh, so let's just read. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to Musa alayhi salam, whoever dies repenting from backbiting, he will be the last person to enter paradise. Whoever dies persisting in it will be the first person to enter the fire. Whoever dies repenting from backbiting, meaning you've, you've, back, you, you've now spoken bad about, ill about someone else, and then you repent and repent and repent and you feel bad for it, then you are the last person to enter paradise. Okay? And then the Prophet, and these are, and now you're going up against people that have committed major, major sins that you can think of. Whoever dies persisting in it, they engage in it, this person will be the first person to enter the fire. 
The Prophet said, the night I was taken up, he's referring to um, the night of Isra and Mi'raj, right? The night he was taken up. I came across a people who were scratching their faces with their nails. Who are they? It was said to me. The Prophet said, it was said to me, these are those who committed backbiting against people. That in the hereafter, or these are at least in that, in that, uh, in, in that vision, uh, or in that encounter, they were scratching their faces with their nails. Know that the definition of backbiting is according to how Allah's Messenger Sallallahu clarified it. It's to mention something about your brother that he would dislike if it were to reach him, even if you are truthful. So even if you are truthful, you're, giving, you're sharing some quality about a person uh, that's absolutely true. Maybe they are stingy. Maybe they are, uh, they are inconsiderate. This is a true quality, this is a quality, this is a weakness that they have, or this is an area they need to improve in. It's the truth. You share that, it's considered backbiting. Uh, whereas, the, whereas if you're sharing what's not true, that's a, different, that's a completely different sin altogether. This is the same whether you mention a deficiency in his person, in his mind, his clothes, his actions, his statements, his lineage, his home, his riding animal, meaning your car, you criticize you know, someone's car, you see what he was driving? That's backbiting. You see what he was wearing? That's backbiting. Or anything that relates to him, anything that relates to him, lineage, right? Man, did you, uh, you know, his parents are just—they're—they're they're re- they're really mean. They just—they never—they're never giving. They're willing to give. We've just spoke ill against him and his parents. Uh, so the example he gives: even if you were to say his sleeves are too loose, or his hem is too long, that would—that would—that would suffice. Once a man was mentioned in the front of Allah's messenger, Sallallahu it was said he is so incompetent. Somebody told the Prophet, he is so in the front of the Prophet, he is so incompetent. We do this all the time at work, it happens, right? That person's incompetent, I wouldn't trust him. The Prophet said, You have backbitten him. Okay, once Aisha ta'ala anha, she signaled with her hand that a woman was of short stature. She didn't even say it with her tongue. We're talking about illness of the tongue. She didn't even say it with her tongue, but she signaled with her hand that um, uh, that a woman was was short. So Allah's Messenger said, You have backbitten her. Through this, it is known that backbiting is not limited to the tongue. Rather, there is no difference between communicating with the hand, a symbol, a signal, a movement, mocking, or equivocation. Like saying, some of our relatives and some of our friends are such and are like such and such. We do this very commonly. You know, this is a very common place. For instance, let's say somebody does something that's uh, reprehensible. Let's say someone is walking and they they stumble, they drop their they drop their cup, they fall over to the ground. You may not say something about them. You might look at the person in front of you and say, what's he doing? You know, sometimes, um, you know, we're sitting in gatherings and somebody says something that's absurd, all right? Something that's just crazy. So what do you do? You look at the person next to you, you look at the person in front of you, and you smile, and you'd be like, can you believe it? Can you believe what he just said? You don't even have to say it. These are just gestures that we make, but that person doesn't know that you're making that gesture. If that person doesn't know that you're making the gesture, then you're backbiting, whether we're using our tongue or whether we're not. So we should be very careful about this. I know it's difficult, and uh, we should make an effort. We should begin at least with a tongue, and then we should then once we've established with our tongue that we're never you know, that we're not going to speak ill about someone, then uh, then we move on to the gestures. Now, my my teacher would say with backbiting, he was very particular. He's very particular. He says that the best thing is to not talk about people in general behind their back. If they're not around, they just don't, it's better not to talk about them. Inevitably, you'll start with what's good. Oh, he's great. He's, you know, mashallah, he's coming to the masjid. Mashallah, he's doing well in school. Mashallah, he's, uh, you know, he has a great family. 
but you know, I, I don't really like. It, then, then, then you say, but at some point you'll interject. Shaitan will, will influence this, and then you'll stray. So it's better. The safer way is to just not speak about other people, even if it if it's good, just leave it alone. Okay, uh, let's move on. Okay, so this is interesting. Likewise, the listener might show amazement at the words of the backbiter such that his excitement about backbiting increases. So let's say you're in a gathering and someone starts talking about someone behind their back and they start, um, they're commenting about them, they're speaking negatively about them, right? And uh, what you're not, you're like, this is haram, there's no way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contribute to this conversation. So you just kind of sit silently or then you begin to smile back and be like, amazing. And what you're doing is you're basically encouraging the person who's backbiting to keep going. Right? You're telling him keep going. That's what he's saying. The listener might show amazement at the words of the backbiter such that his excitement, so my excitement, is then uh, causing your backbiting to increase and perpetuate. The listener is also one of the backbiters. That's what Imam Ghazali says. If you're in a part of a conversation and you're listening to someone speaking ill of someone else, then you are uh, just uh, at fault as well. As, a, uh, as Allah's Messenger وسلم, said, and this is narrated um, by the Prophet, so what about the listener who eggs the backbiter and on through his amazement. Prophet says this. Likewise, a person might say, stop backbiting people. Right? Someone's, someone's speaking ill and you say, hey, listen, we shouldn't talk about, we probably shouldn't talk about him. He's not around. You know, we should be, there's, there's no benefit in this. Then he says, so look, a person might say this, yet in his heart, he does not dislike backbiting. His sole intention is to be known for piety. So why are you interrupting the conversation? Why are you stopping this from occurring? Not because you don't like the action of backbiting. You're doing it because you want to be known as that person who is pious, that person who uh, who calls out people when they're wrong, when they're making a mistake, or that person, you know, you want to raise your status in some way, shape, or form. Even though the action itself is correct, you're stopping someone from perpetuating the sin. Um, Imam Ghazali says that, um, however, this does not remove him from the sin as backbiting so long as he does not detest it in his heart. Okay, so in order for us to, if we're going to discourage people from backbiting, it shouldn't be because we ourselves, we want to gain something out of it. It's because we detest this action. And we want to protect this person, we want to protect ourselves from being, from amongst those people that are, are people that backbite. So, um, so we, and then he goes on to say, it also, it, this also involves him in the sin of ostentation. This, so when you stop someone from backbiting and you're actually doing it because you want to appear as someone who's pious, then not only are you backbiting, you're also committing the sin of ostentation. So now that's two sins you've committed. Um, rather, what removes him from sin is to detest it in his heart. Meaning you have to in your heart feel that this is wrong. Reject it to the backbiter and tell the person who's backbiting, this isn't right, we shouldn't do this. Or let's just change the subject. And not, be, uh, and not believe him in his heart as well. So you can't believe what he's saying either. Okay, so that's um, backbiting. Um, so methods for treating the self against backbiting. Treating the self in order to stop it from backbiting. So now, so after each, um, uh, you could say, uh, ailment of the heart, Imam Ghazali will go over at the end a treatment for each one as well. So we'll see this theme. Treating the self in order to stop it from backbiting requires that a person reflect up on the transmitted threat about it in his statement. Backbite, and so this is a statement the Prophet said. So Imam Ghazali is saying, the Prophet made a statement about backbiting. If you want the first step to stopping this, removing this sin from your life, removing this habit from your life, 
is that you have to reflect, reflect upon this current statement. The Prophet says, Backbiting is surely faster in destroying the good deeds of the slave than fire when it consumes dry wood. It is transmitted that the good deeds of the backbiter are transferred to the record of the one who has wronged through backbiting. The backbiter will look at the paucity of his de good deeds and the abundance of his backbiting and will shortly end up bankrupt. So what happens is if I was to backbite against someone here, then on the day of judgment, my good deeds will be transferred into the account of the person that was being back backbit against. So I'm speaking ill of, you know, Zayd, for instance. On the day of judgment, Zayd will take my deeds, take my deeds, and I will become bankrupt. In fact, the Prophet uh, references, when he, he asked the Sahaba, who is, what is bankruptcy? And so they said that, well, someone who loses all of their wealth, all of their money, right? That's the definition, the standard definition of bankruptcy. The Prophet says no, and he, and he references this. That if you were to... Um, if we are to backbite against people on the Day of Judgment, all of that will be transferred into their account and will become bankrupt. Number two, then a person should reflect upon his own faults. If there is any fault in him, he should be busy with himself and no other, even if he has only committed a minor sin. Meaning that we don't have, we don't, if we have the energy to speak ill of someone else, then we certainly have the energy to direct that uh, attention onto ourselves. We are so used to picking out faults in other people when we have more faults, uh, we are, when we ourselves are dealing with faults, right? Allah Ta'ala has given us this ability to critique. We can either critique the rest of the world, criticize them, speak ill of them, etc. Or we can, we can channel that criticism onto ourselves and look into our own hearts. So he says, even if he only has committed a minor sin, for he knows that the harm done to him by his own minor sin is, the, is greater than done to him by another's major sin. So let's say someone, what he's saying is that even if you don't have any major sins in your record, but you do have minor sins, you at least have minor sins, and if you have minor sins, that's going to harm you on the Day of Judgment. The other person's major sin is not going to harm you. That's going to harm him. So why are you worried about that? You need to first take care of yourself and make sure you rectify your own deeds. Rather than spending energy conveying the evils of other people, spend that time trying to rectify your own evils. Then he says, when, when, uh, when is the human... So, so then he says, um, if there is no fault in him. So let's say somebody can claim that, no, I don't even have any minor sins. I don't have nothing. There's nothing. I have nothing. I'm, I'm, I have a clean slate. Then he should know that his ignorance of his own faults is the greatest of all faults. If you think, I don't have any major sins. I don't have any minor sins. Imam Ghazali is saying, well, the mere fact that you aren't able to pick together, uh, you aren't able to actually look into your heart and... Uh, uh, and, and do a, a deep analysis of your state, uh, that in and of itself is the greatest of all faults. That's a major problem. If you are not, if you think in your mind that you're fine and that you're clean, you, that you haven't made mistakes and that you're pure and that there isn't room for improvement, then that is a great fault. Essentially, you're blind. You're blind to your own mistakes. You're blind to the realities of your own heart. When is the human being devoid of fault? If he is devoid of it, then he should thank Allah instead of backbiting. So, in those rare circumstances, which doesn't apply to us, but let's say someone, you know, perhaps truly has rectified themselves, they've done tawbah, and they have even weeded out all of their own faults, and they've gone to people that can help them weed out their own mistakes and their own faults, then what about that person? So he says, if he is devoid of it, then he should thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instead of backbiting. So even if you are at that state, don't waste your energy on backbiting. Be grateful to Allah Ta'ala that He's protected you or that He's been guiding you. Don't spend your energy in another direction. For truly, slandering people is like eating the flesh of a corpse. 
and eating the flesh of a corpse is from the greatest of all faults. He should be aware of it. Okay, and then... Um, Whenever his tongue proceeds to backbite, he should seek Allah's forgiveness. So immediately we seek Allah's forgiveness. Then go to the one whom he is backbiting and say, I have wronged you, please pardon me. I have wronged you, please pardon me. That's actually one of the treatments, right? That's actually one of the ways to prevent backbiting. If you know that after you say it, you're going to have to go to that person and ask them for their forgiveness, um, then that's going to, that's going, that's, then you're going to be concerned about ever backbiting again. So, the recommendation of the ulama is that you should do this a few times. You, you spoke ill of someone, go to them and say, listen, I spoke ill of you, can you please forgive me? Um, you do it a few times, and you'll be like, you know what, this is just too much work. I don't have the energy. I can't email, call, I can't go visit people. This is just too much effort. And sometimes it's embarrassing. So you do it a few times and you won't do it again. Um, some ulama say that, you know, what you should do is that if you, because we probably in the past, now we're trying to change our lives and move forward. But if we've spoken ill of people in the past, we should oh, we should go to every single person individually, call them, email them, meet them in person, and say that, uh, I have not fulfilled your rights. Can you please forgive me? And if that person acknowledges, yes, I'll forgive you, you don't have to give them the details of what you specifically you said. You don't have to tell them that I said X, Y, and Z. I, I didn't, you, know, you don't have to tell them that, hey, you're, I, I thought your hair was crazy. Or, you don't have to tell them that... Um, uh, that um, about the qualities that you spoke of them that were negative. You just have to ask for their forgiveness for not fulfilling their rights. Uh, if he does not run into him, now this doesn't apply in this day and age per se. We're able to, you can contact any person in the world today, but it, you know, for the, some people, sometimes you aren't able to run into a person for whatever reason. Maybe they've left the country and uh, you've lost all contact with them. Uh, or maybe they've passed away. Then he should increase his praise of him. Meaning whenever, if you need to, you can speak positively of him going forward. You should increase his prayers for him. You should make dua for that person. And you should increase uh, uh, and increase good deeds as well. Uh, so that if some of them are carried over to the record of the wronged, as is the recompense of backbiting, what is sufficient for him will remain. So, meaning that if you have made a mistake of backbiting, and that person, you've now lost touch with them, you're not in contact with them, maybe they've passed away. Well then, make dua for them. You should increase your praise of them. You can give sadaqah in their name. And then he's saying at the end that you yourself should now excel in your own deeds. Why? <coughs> because your deeds are going to be gone, given to that person on the Day of Judgment. So you might as well have a backup, have a backup set of deeds. This is, I mean, this is, this is, this is real. Okay, and then the last uh, section, and we'll finish here, inshallah. The third element is disputing and arguing. The Prophet ﷺ said, Whoever abandons disputing while he is right, a home is built for him in the highest part of paradise. Whoever abandons it while he is wrong, a home is difficult. A, a, a home is built for him on the outskirts of paradise. So, uh, disputing in general is discouraged in Deen. So, whatever we should stay away from any argument ever. Why? Because argument always leads to raising your voice. When you raise your voice, then you're now usurping the rights of the person in front of you. So, the Prophet advises us to cut that off from the get-go. And we're actually going to talk about arguing later, inshallah, in in the course of this eratikaf. But we should never argue with people. We should never argue. You can have a healthy debate in certain circumstances, very limited circumstances, but we should never dispute with people. Um, the Prophet, he's saying that if you dispute while you're correct, you know you're right, you're absolutely right, but you, but you abandon that dispute, you say, you know what, for the sake of Allah, I'm not going to argue, then a home is built for him in the highest part of paradise. Now, if you abandon it while you're wrong, meaning you're wrong, and you still want to make your point across, but you say, you know what, for the sake of Allah, I'm going to stop, then you still get a home, it'll be at the outskirt of paradise, but we'll take what we can get. 
Um, this is because it is making it more difficult for the person who is right to abandon making his point. It's, it's more difficult for the person who is right to abandon his point. That's why you get the higher reward in Jannah. Um, the, def the definition of disputing is to oppose one uh, is to oppose another person's speech by pointing out the mistakes in it, whether implicitly or explicitly. So you can apply this to yourself when you're having a conversation or you're having a debate, and now you're trying to pick apart all the the things that that person said that's wrong. Um, uh, that's that's the that's what disputing is. Um, disp disputation is motivated by excessive pride and displaying superiority. It is caused by either uh, malign offhandedness or the wickedness of being confrontational that is found in one's nature and looks forward to uh, belittling and overcoming one another. Disputing and arguments are a me argument are a means of strengthening these two filthy and destructive characteristics. The necessary course of action is for a person to affirm whatever he hears that is right and be quiet about whatever he hears that is a mistake, unless it were in regards to mentioning a beneficial religious point that he would that would be listened to coming from him. In that case, he should remind others with gentleness, not with harshness. So what he's saying is that the, that the, the basis of, of arguing and disputing uh, is often excessive pride. It's not actually that we want that the, the point that we need to get across needs to be conveyed. Rarely is it that you're trying to convey a point of benefit to that person. It's nine times out of ten you are trying to defend yourself against that person. And if that's what you're doing, then that's an issue of pride. You think you don't want that person to think that you're lower than them. You don't want yourself to think that you're lower. How could how could I be lower than this person? I have a PhD and this person has a bachelor's degree. You know, I went to high school. This person's still in middle school, so I'm going to argue. How could I be lower than this person? So it's based in pride, and so Imam Ghazali's advice is to re refrain from any sort of disputing. And the Prophet based off of these uh, a hadith, is encouraging us to doing this as well. The last ones we're not going to cover are joking, um, and he actually goes into what's permissible, what's not, and then he goes into uh, praising, excessive praise. So this was actually, I think, the longest section. We won't actually cover this much going forward. The rest of the sections are much shorter. But inshallah, we'll try to highlight. Uh, I thought this was perhaps the most important, and it's in particular applicable to us in Atikaf. One of the strong recommendations of the ulama is to decrease our speech. This is our time to practice, right? Um, this is our time to practice. And the, when we find ourselves speaking excessively during Atikaf, then... Um, then think about all the points that we mentioned. What are, what are we actually speaking about? I'm here to remember Allah. I should spend that time remembering Allah. Now, it is considered makruh to actually remain completely silent in Ertika. So you can't say that I'm not going to open my mouth for the next 10 days. It's considered makruh because it's not an act of worship per se. It's just an encouragement that you decrease your speech. So practically speaking, while we're here, we should try to decrease our speech. And alhamdulillah, we've been doing a really good job of it so far. You know, maybe at the times where... I wouldn't say, I mean, for most of us, it's going to be difficult to just really limit it. Maybe there's certain time periods where we can kind of, you know, relax or whatnot. Maybe after uh, the time of the late night snack, sometimes, you know, um, the times where we shouldn't be 100% focused on our ibadah, if you need to relax, you know, whatnot, then, 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 then definitely go for it, inshallah. Um, so that's that. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allow us to benefit from the words of our scholars and most certainly the words of the Prophet sallallahu May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, grant us a tawfiq to remove uh, all of the ailments related to the tongue, whether it be backbiting, whether it be lying, um, whether it be uh, arguing. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant us a tawfiq to, to, to seek the forgiveness uh, from those whom we may have spoken ill of uh, in the past. Normally, normally what we'll do after this is we'll we'll do uh, silent dhikr. Um, in the interest of time, we're just going to spend a few minutes doing muraqaba. Um, and muraqaba is basically, for, if you're not familiar with it, it's simply a, a state of reflection of the heart. 
where a person uh, sits down uh, and they uh, focus in on their spiritual heart and they uh, imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy descending upon it. So that's what muraqabah is. Now, you want to, you could do muraqabah of your own state. You can do muraqabah of all the times where you spoke, you know, where you're speaking ill. You can do muraqabah of uh, of the faults. Imam Ghazali mentions that we all have faults and we shouldn't be blind to these faults. You can do muraqabah of your of of that, where you ref- sit down and you reflect upon all the faults that you have within you. So there's different forms of muraqabah. You can do muraqabah of the grave. You know, we all know that we're going to be in our grave one day and we're potentially going to spend thousands of years in our grave. But we can spend time, five minutes, sitting down, closing our eyes and imagining that we're in our grave and seeing if that would... Uh, the, the effect of muraqabah is that it allows you to transform yourself so that you rectify uh, yourself for the future. So inshallah, we'll spend just maybe a couple of minutes doing muraqabah and after that, inshallah, we'll... Um, uh, we'll prepare for the Jum'ah prayer, inshallah.